Hi, I'm Kyle. And I'm Trevor. And welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of July 2021, and it is Ladies' Night. Hello, ladies. (laughs) Essentially, what we're going to be doing this month uh, is taking a look at uh, a number of action films headlined by ladies uh and i felt it would be appropriate uh to begin things uh pretty early in the timeline i can't say i can't confirm if this is like one of the very first uh female-led action films uh in at least in american cinema um but i figured we should start things off uh with foxy brown Mm -hmm. uh, from 1974 uh directed by jack hill and of course headlined by one pam greer uh, so, uh, I'm not sure exactly how the, the picks this month are going to be balanced out, but uh, just full disclosure, this was my pick. Um, <laughs> so, um, uh, any any weirdness or awkwardness that comes out of this conversation, you can attribute to me. So, none of the blame goes towards Kyle. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for... <laughs> Thank you for disclosing that. Thank you for the disclosing that. Uh, so, I figure uh, one of the first questions I had for, for you and, I guess, myself, Kyle, is uh, this this film falls under the genre of black exploitation. Um, this was, of course, a, a movement in American film cinema, like the film environment, uh, that was largely done in, in like as, a, as an attempt to get black audiences to go to the theater. Mm-hmm. It's like, it doesn't necessarily mean we're serving them high art or quality cinema, but we're we're basically creating a subgenre of film that is explicitly targeting African-American audiences. Um, and that didn't necessarily mean that the films were being made by those folks uh, per se. But um, I was just curious, Kyle, do you have any background uh, with black exploitation? Uh, no, not. This is, I think the only film f- from the actual black exploitation period that I've seen. Uh, I've definitely seen contemporary parodies of it. Like we mentioned before, uh, Undercover Brother is very much a parody of this time period. Um, I haven't seen uh, Black Dynamite, but I've heard that that's actually a pretty good uh, parody of this this timeline. Um, but no, this is my first experience with it. Okay, uh, yeah, my my experience is pretty similar in that case. Uh, I I have seen Shaft. Uh, I I'm not sure if it falls under like the traditional black exploitation template, but I, I have seen some of the Rudy Ray Moore films like like Dolomite and things along those lines. Um, but yeah, when it comes to like first generation black exploitation cinema, I I'm not very well read. I guess <laughs> like I actually haven't seen very many of these films. Um, but the, the huge reason why I wanted to pick this film was that I it, the pop culture aspect of it. Um, Just the name Foxy Brown uh, gave way, of course, to Quentin Tarantino's, I I guess you'd call it like, (laughs) yeah, his his career, but also like one of the the higher profile films in his filmography, um, Jackie Brown. Excellent. Which would, of course, be headlined by Pam Greer as well for very obvious reasons, because Tarantino had an affinity for the actress and just this genre in general Um, and and this director as well, Jack Hill. Um, He he was he referred to him as i think the the howard hawks of uh, exploitation cinema which is that's high praise that's high praise yeah <laughs> uh, to say the least but um yeah mostly i wanted to pick this film just because of its pop culture footprint 
Um, going into it, I really had no idea what to expect in terms of quality or even in terms of the content of the plot line. Um, but just the iconography of the character of Pam, Pam Greer, you know, done up in like in any number of the really awesome outfits she has in this movie. Like her wardrobe was given very special consideration in this yes. movie, for sure. Um, and and the name. Uh, at, Kyle and I actually both noticed that if you try to Google this movie. Uh, you run into a little issue uh, yeah. because there, there's a musical artist who uses uses the name. Uh, so if you just Google Foxy Brown, the first result you'll get is is that gal as mm. opposed to this movie. So in order to find this fucking movie, you have to Google Foxy Brown space film. Film. Uh, but it's things like that, that that point out to people like me that are not exactly in the know just how much of a pop culture footprint this character in this film has. Uh, because as Kyle said, there was a little bit of like a resurgence in in like not necessarily black exploitation films proper, but just like films blatantly paying homage to them in the late '90s and early 2000s, like you said, Undercover Brother and Black Foxy, Dynamite, Foxy Cleopatra, and Austin Foxy Powers. Cleopatra. Yes, yeah. it's it's things like that that make me curious, that made me curious about checking this film out, just mm-hmm. because without having ever seen a minute of the film itself somehow i like i've been exposed to little bits of it here and there um and now that i've seen the film i can totally see like where tarantino maybe got some ideas from it and i can definitely see like his appreciation for it like uh, based on the content of his own films well he was 11 when this came out and there's some there's some scenes in here i can definitely see an 11 year old boy uh being very interested in yeah yeah there there's certain images in this film that as an 11 year old boy uh, I'm I'm most I am most certain they are seared into that man's memory. <laughs> so from what I understand, he wrote Jackie Brown specifically for Pam Greer, uh, and I'm sure like he just told her about like there's an interview with the two of them uh, talking about the film around when the film came out, and I'm just wondering if he was just like you know Pam I'm a huge fan of yours I was a huge fan of yours when I was a kid and she's like oh really which movies. <laughs> <laughs> how old are you, how old are you? Yeah. <laughs> i was gonna say uh we should say at the top that um there are issues with this movie there are issues that we're gonna point out with this movie and there are issues that trevor and i don't even realize are a part of the film uh the this whole genre of filmmaking uh is viewed by you know african-american scholars it's, there's a point of contention here. So some some believe that this film, these, this film genre, is culturally significant, and then there's the other side that think that these are awful. We're not really going to be speaking to that. This is strictly pop culture and as an action, as a female action star. Because I think I was trying to think like, even with James Bond films, like you have like female characters and stuff like that, you don't have just a main. Like, you don't have, like, a main villain in there. It's usually just, like, a side lady or something. And I think those were the only kind of films that were having uh, close to female action people. If You get, you kind of get what, what I mean? Yeah, I, I do. Or it was it's very seldom you had a movie headlined by, by a woman in, like, a, I don't know, a, a physically tough, like, mm-hmm. action role. Like, sometimes they would do action-related things, but that was that was seldom the selling point. Although what's kind of interesting, and and I want to say this rings true today, is that in exploitation cinema, th- thing things of that nature were not as rare. Um, like say what you will about the man and his legacy, but Russ Meyer, 
um, who's mostly remembered for making movies with big tits in them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was kind of his thing. Gotcha. Um, one one thing that was also prevalent in a lot of his films, though, was like physically domineering women. Mm. Um, a lot a lot of times you had it was actually shockingly similar to a lot of concepts that that Quentin Tarantino slips into his films, um, like the the Fox Force Five concept mm. um, yes. from Pulp Fiction. Just we don't actually get to see that, but we do have the concept of that TV show, that pilot or whatever, explained to us, and that shockingly similar to the content of a lot of like Russ Meyer and other exploitation films, uh, headlined by women, um, in in action roles. Um, but the one thing to note about all that is that we're talking fringe cinema. We're not talking mainstream. Yeah. Um, and Foxy Brown was it most certainly an exploitation film, but it. It over the years, its profile has grown immeasurably. Um, so yeah, in terms of like mainstream film, I I think this was still very much a rarity, and even today is pretty rare to yeah. be honest. Um, but yeah, in 1974, this was a really big deal because, uh, like like you said, we had like an entire franchise of Bond films where it's like she holds a gun sometimes, fifty fifty chance she's gonna pull the trigger. <laughs> I think, I think James Cameron and Quentin Tarantino were like the two big film directors that actually will have strong female leads, like strong female characters like that. And Ridley Scott yeah. throw it in there too. Yeah, consistently. Um, James Cameron has his mama bear thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I call it. It's the mama bear trope. Where it's like, get away from her, you bitch. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, uh, Tarantino, obviously, like his casting choices and, and his writing style oftentimes places women in in those positions that you wouldn't expect for a lot of mainstream cinema mm-hmm. uh, but yeah i think i do think that, that like foxy brown is considered whether it's correct or not is considered the first female action hero i'm i i'll allow it okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, i guess i'm back to uh, giving the plot summary now have fun with it bud Ugh. it's been a minute yeah, it's been a while <laughs> so <laughs> Pam Greer plays Foxy Brown. Her occupation is unknown. Um, <laughs> she, she is betrayed by her brother, and her Foxy Brown's boyfriend is killed, and she takes revenge. She avenges his death, basically. Very succinct and yeah. and all all accurate, especially the uh, <laughs> uncertain occupation. <laughs> I don't know what she does for a living. Yeah, no, we don't know how the, this woman pays rent, but it gets paid, so deal with it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, our our movie opens, and uh, Kyle, do you want to explain this? Because Kyle had told me before we started recording that uh, he, before he even hit play, he knew how the first minutes of this movie were going to play out. I knew exactly what it was going to be. So, uh, I, and I, I didn't even didn't even hear the music yet. But as soon as I heard the wall pedal kick in, I'm like, you were right. So this starts off with a funky 70s track. Uh, I believe, in, I think it's a theme song for Foxy Brown. Uh, it's a... It's a dude singing a whole song. And we get, uh, we get the credits, like Pam Greer... Uh, Antonio Fargus, the other people that are in the movie, um, and we get like silhouettes of her dancing and uh, bright, cool colors and stuff. It's exactly what you think it would be. Uh, I enjoy the Foxy Brown theme song too. 
I enjoyed all of the music in this yeah. film, Kyle. Yeah. The the title song in particular, but uh, when when we're in the hospital and she's like yeah. rekindling the flame with her with her guy, ooh, that is <laughs> that is some soulful trash. <laughs> but I loved it. It's it's so shocky, but it's it's awesome. It, it works so well. It, you know what? I I have to uh, shout out to Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, watching Boogie Nights, and you see the Brock Landers like him doing the the stuff. I'm like. Man, these movies look awful. And then I started watching this. I'm like, I think he probably that was a pretty accurate uh, depiction of what those movies look like. It's very accurate, but that's actually one thing I'll get out of the way immediately um, because this movie, Kyle, I, I I lied a little bit. So, well, no, I didn't. Um, so I don't have any background with black exploitation cinema. I've seen Shaft. I've seen some Rudy Ray Moore movies. That's about it. At least when it comes to first generation black exploitation. Um, but what I do have a lot of experience with is Japanese exploitation cinema from the same time period. Mm. Um, and in fact, there, there's there's a moment in this movie that I'll draw attention to when we get there that I, I don't know who bit off of who, but but there's a good <laughs> chance that somebody somebody did somebody dirty. Um, but yeah, what what's notable and the reason why I'm going on about this is um, this doesn't look nearly as bad as a lot of exploitation cinema I've seen from the mid-70s. This actually is a movie. Like, yeah. like the shots are well-considered. The lighting, there is lighting. There's a cool, <laughs> there are sets. There's a cool use of mirror, like a cool use of a mirror uh, when she goes to meet uh, Catherine. I'm like, oh, they, in this movie? Okay, that, that's cool. Um, yeah, the, the, I really feel the need to stress that fact, though, that like when it comes to bottom-of-the-barrel trash low-budget cinema, this is not that. Mm-hmm. Um, this actually has the look and feel of a of a mainstream film. Um, it it is a film, and it's actually kind of surprising uh, the difference that that can make in terms of your your enjoyment as a, as a as a audience member. Uh, because there are certain movies where it's like an like an Ed Wood type thing where somebody closes a door too hard and the whole wall shakes and yeah. stuff, where it's, it totally takes you out of it just that little bit. And you don't really get that in this movie. Um, and there's there's some neat editing stuff in this movie that really speaks to the fact that somebody gave a damn, like gave exactly one more fuck than a lot of those other people making like schlock cinema around the same time. Well, I think Coffee was like a surprise hit, the film that came right before this. And this was supposed to be like a, it was supposed to be a continuation of it, but they decided not to. They had it be a different character. So this was actually supposed to be a second film. So they might have had more money to work with because of the success of Coffee. That's very true. Uh, you're probably right on that. Um, act, I'm so glad you brought that up. I, I didn't want to skip over that. Uh, Coffee was uh, the same actress and director. So <clears throat> uh, Pam Greer was also in that. And it actually did precede this movie. Only difference is uh, Foxy Brown's pop culture legacy, I want to say, is the stronger of the two, uh, which is why even though Coffee came earlier in the timeline, I, I just wanted to jump head first into this one uh, just to see what all the hubbub was about. Um, I don't feel bad about that choice, although I have heard that Coffee is potentially the superior film. Yeah, it looks like there's more more stuff. There's drugs in this movie that we're going to talk about, but I think Coffee is centered more around drugs, which is problematic. Well, I mean, the whole movie's problematic, but... <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just reading I mean, I mean, we've already pointed out that this, this entire genre is problematic yes. in the eyes of many, but... Uh, yeah, I, I think I did see a thing that Pam Greer herself uh, did mention that 
uh, one one positive element of black exploitation becoming a thing, not just in America, but just internationally was well, two things actually. One was that, hey, we we get to spread African American culture worldwide, um, and then two, jobs like mm. this this particular subgenre gave a lot of people work. It wasn't wasn't the work they probably wanted, mm. um, but if you're trying to be an actor, part of doing that gig is building your resume and this the creation of this subgenre gave a lot of people a lot of consistent work that otherwise wouldn't be available at the time i think i I read i don't know how true this is but i think she wasn't even an actress she was an office assistant at the production company it's funny because i i could see that um that's part of her appeal i want to say is that she she can play both steely and warm at mm-hmm. the same time and part of it just comes with just natural charisma it like she she doesn't have like a stagey performance style to her she's she's just very genuine um and she it just works i, I don't know how to i don't know how to explain it <laughs> that's why i hope we have time to cover jackie brown this month because it's really really great uh i can't wait to watch it again i can't wait for i can't wait for steph to watch it i really want her to watch it yeah, folks at home, you aren't aware of this, but like Kyle has been throwing Jackie Brown at me like consistently, like every other day via text, like like Jackie Brown, Jackie Brown, because well, if we're, we're like, I know it's a good movie, Kyle, Jesus, because Christ. we're but because we're doing Foxy Brown, I feel like we should balance it out with Jackie Brown. Also, it's a Tarantino movie that I not like people who like Quentin Tarantino don't really see or don't really even talk about. It does get glossed over. Uh, a lot of times in conversations but i think in more recent days uh people have started to come around to it not like mainstream audiences but the people who who are into tarantino like they circle back and there's like oh shit that that really was good (laughs) like in fact that might be one of his best and i saw it a long time ago so like i don't remember a whole lot of it i just remember there was a lot of robert forster Mm. uh which, you know, he's passed away fairly recently, so that's as good a reason as any, but also Pam Greer was great in it, and, you know, the title role was written for her. And, um, and Sam Jackson and Robert De Niro. Oh, and our uh, Bridget Fonda. Yeah, that's, that's kind of strange that uh, that was the, the De Niro role. It's, that, that I think that's why I like it, because it's such a bizarre assortment, like, of people, and the story's just a lot of fun, and the time, like, it's, like, probably the most uh, QT timing film where it's, like, we're starting here, but we're going to be jumping all over the place. Yeah, he's kind of loosened up on that in recent years, but like early on, yeah, that like his non-linear timeline for his films was pretty bonkers. Um, and yeah, I do remember that being a part of that. But yeah, Kyle's been lobbying very hard for that one. So mm-hmm. uh, we only have four Tuesdays this month, so uh, we may have to do a bonus episode or something because you really have been lobbying very strongly well if we're doing if we're doing ladies night i feel like that's a good one to do my only objection is that i i was hoping to do diversity you know just like have a different lady every week Mm -hmm. but uh if we can find time maybe we can slip a bonus one in there or something because i i I don't need an excuse to rewatch (laughs) jackie brown jeez (laughs) like i i know it's good i just don't remember it very well um anyway uh our uh our uh, opening sequence here, um, like Kyle said, it's the the style of graphics and the editing and the and the the soundtrack. You you kind of know what it's going to be before you even hit play. But I like that she's doing the Elaine Bennis patented little kicks in the thumbs, basically, because <laughs> mm-hmm. she, she's wearing the type of shoes that you know you, you can move, but you gotta you gotta keep it tight. You know, like you're not you can't like do a whole lot of wide swinging motions. Your, your center of gravity will get all out of whack. 
Um, but yeah, curiously enough, uh, we end with a shot of her uh, holding a handgun up to the screen, and then we zoom into it, and our first shot beyond the title sequence is like this muddy ass like just this terrible shot of just like car headlights mm. and it's all out of focus it's like that's the first image you want to lead with after all those pam greer glamour shots it's just like something like unintelligible that i can't even really make out the details of what i'm looking at well it's setting the tone because we're dealing with like just garbage and trash these are the people that we're going to be dealing with in the film and it's dark okay that's okay, i'll allow it <laughs> all out kyle but um, yeah, immediately after that, uh, we're introduced uh, to Jackie Brown, or uh, Foxy Brown, rather, uh, her brother, Antonio Fargus, who plays Link. And uh, most people, I think, know him from Starsky and Hutch. Um, I wasn't is really... Is he Huggy Bear? Yes, he is. Oh. Yeah. I've um, only seen him... I've seen him, I think, in other things, but the thing that I remember him from is he plays old school from Don't Be a Menace to South Central While Drinking Your Gin and Juice in the Hood. He's the older guy that tells them about stuff. Um, that's the only other thing I think I've actually seen him in. He's a very prolific actor. Uh, I glanced at his filmography and I did see some things. I was like, yeah, I remember him from that. I remember him from that. In fact, he, he was in a, a movie that I, I own for strange reasons called a Beyond Skyline. That It's a sequel, Kyle. They made three of these movies. They made three Skyline movies. It was the forgotten Independence Day knockoff from like the late 2000s i think it was like 2009 or something mm. and then they made a direct-to-video sequel of it that had Iko uwais uh the lead from the raid films um and frank grillo and i was like well i gotta see you know my boy beat up like do some silat on some fucking alien invaders mm. <laughs> um and then yeah huggy bear showed up and i was like what what is he doing here um but yeah he's walking on the sidewalk in the middle of the night and we have this kind of like it, you know, it's the 1970s. The editing style was a little different from what the kids are used to today. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's a lot of long, drawn-out segments where not a whole lot's happening. But I guess what we're trying to do here is build tension. Uh, so he notices a car pulling up behind him. And at the same time, there's also, like, a cop car pulling up to a diner that he's, he, like, saunters up to as well. It's a uh, taco so he... stand that serves great coffee. Yeah, I caught that. I was like, I don't think I saw tacos on the menu because they have the menu behind the like the, the cashier guy. And I was like, that guy just ordered tacos, but I don't see any tacos up there. <laughs> I mean, this is like, it's night. Like, it's late at night, too. This has got to be like 11 p.m. And he's ordering tacos and having coffee because uh, he calls Foxy and she's asleep. So it was a weird late night meal. Yeah, but the basically the setup for the scene is that uh, initially he's worried about the the car pulling up to him with some two guys in suits uh, and then he sees the cop car and so he he uses the cops as a sh- as a shield basically where the cops are getting coffee and he's sitting at the taco stand and meanwhile these two men in suits are just waiting to beat his ass yeah but they can't do that if the cops are there so he's just like staying as close to the cops uh, for as long as possible and he gets pretty desperate later on. But yeah, amid all of this, he asks uh, if there's a payphone nearby, and he calls his sister, uh, Foxy. Uh, and we get Pam Greer in her bed, and she's like, God damn it, this shit again? <laughs> like, like the, the tone she has here is so nonchalant that's like, oh, wow, this must happen a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's probably crazy late at night, and uh, we get some tasteful boobs. Um, actually, like, shockingly tasteful boobs. 
uh, I mean, it's very, very early in the movie. We're like barely five minutes in. So you can tell the kind of time we're working on, like the advanced slasher timeline at this point, Mm -hmm. like the proto slasher timeline where it's like, we got to get going, man. I'm I'm not talking like 10 minutes of kill. I'm talking like five minutes. (laughs) um, But yeah, when she gets out of bed, like we, she takes off her nightgown, but they set up the lighting just so that like she's shadowed like from the neck down so you don't see any detail and it's like wow like the the dp like we have a dp (laughs) what (laughs) what is this um so yeah it's 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 tasteful i thought there was gonna be way more gratuitous nudity in this film so did i yeah, I was actually really concerned about that. <laughs> yeah, that was why I was like, oh, man, this is just going to be paint rear with her top off the whole time. Like, this is going to be bad. But, I'm like, it's actually not that. Yeah, I, I was so happy because I actually, like, when I first suggested that mo- this movie, that was my that was my first regret like oh no is this gonna be is this gonna be that kind of movie because i i have seen some 70s trash that it's like that that's not a movie that's just an excuse to get did you take sybil shepherd to the theater to watch it you fucking crazy guy (laughs) (laughs) god that's a movie actually i should probably watch again yeah maybe I, I, you know, I mean, it's... Or, or you should just rewatch Joker, Trevor. It's, probably <laughs> it's the, the same, same fucking thing. thing. <laughs> it's probably, it's basically the same movie. <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, she, uh, she disrobes and then gets herself all ready to head out for the night. And then we see her in, in her undies uh, slipping a handgun into her lingerie, into her brassiere. Um, so we, like, right off the bat, we learn that, oh, shit, Foxy Brown plays for keeps. Mm-hmm. Uh, she doesn't go to pick up her brother without her piece. Uh, so, tough family, man. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I like when we cut back to, to Link at the taco stand, and uh, he starts to get desperate because he notices the cops are uh, getting ready to head back into their car and drive off, and he, he starts rambling about, man, this is the best coffee in the world at a taco stand yeah. of all places. I'm pretty sure that's Nescafe, bro. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's instant. <laughs> It's 100% oh, it, instant coffee. Yeah, coffee crystals. Coffee crystals. Yeah. Chris Farley, yeah, yeah, coffee yeah. crystals, legendary. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, had a, I had a science teacher who had no control over the class who really, he, he was like the same stature as Chris Farley but shorter, and he would quote the, the best of Chris Farley, SNL, in between trying to get us to pay attention to science, which, again, he had no control over that class. Now, folks at home, kids, if you haven't seen the Coffee Crystal skit with Chris Farley, look it up. You'll kids, have a grand old time. If you haven't seen anything with Chris Farley, just look up any film that he's been in, and you're going to have a good time, no matter what it is. I don't know if I'd go that far, man. <laughs> Coneheads, Black Sheep, Tommy Boy, Wayne's World, Wayne's World 2, uh, Almost Heroes... What else you got? The, on, the only one is the one you didn't mention. What's that? Uh, Beverly Hills Ninja, uh-uh. I think. Nah, that, nah. I'm not going to. Did I send you the fucking gif of him trying to hide on the post? <laughs> I will disagree with you on that, sir. Okay, that Kyle, one, Kyle's going to fight me on that. I, I don't. That's the one that. That is exactly the one that I don't go back to. Um, I, all the I, other all the other ones yeah i i will show up for almost heroes man i actually kind of like that one it's great in fact i really like that it's, one it's a lot a of people film. shit on that movie i they like it themselves, yeah. <laughs> yeah well-informed security guard yeah. <laughs> it's like wayne's world counts and that one should be top of your list yeah. but um yeah uh so link is basically 
trying his best to keep these cops here by like saying oh you don't want to leave your coffee like half drunk man like you should stick around it's the best coffee in the world um but it doesn't work out uh and he like just kind of wanders out into the middle of the street and those two thugs uh finish they <laughs> finish their tacos and i think the one of them has like a it's like a billy club or something i think so yeah yeah like like he's he's serious like he's it's either that or something to wallop like a fish with or something but the other guy's got brass knucks and they're ready to just beat his ass in the middle of the street right in front of the taco stand guy by the way (laughs) uh yeah and then foxy brown starsky and hutch is her way in there and i had to check real quick starsky and hutch started after this film so starsky and hutch foxy brown their way into america's hearts okay we, yeah now now we know the order of operations here but uh yeah she she rolls up and i don't know what kind of car this is it was but a she, car from uh, the 70s <laughs> it, it's a it's a boat on wheels essentially yeah. it, gets, <laughs> it gets seven miles to the gallon and it sounds yeah uh to quote the fellow from robocop once something goes really fast it gets really shitty gas mileage <laughs> uh, the american auto industry yes uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, six thousand sux <laughs> um, but uh yeah uh huggy bear uh he jumps on the he jumps on the roof of the car yeah and this was a legit fucking stunt. this was a stunt I don't, I don't know if it was him but whoever did this their life was in danger <laughs> the, the way it's edited it's like like oh shit like it, it like from point a to point b is quite crazy like she's gonna kill him like he's not gonna get in that car and he's like on top of the car and he manages i mean the way it's edited, he does manage to get into the car, but I don't think he was actually going to get in that car. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Not until she stopped. And I don't think she had any intention to stop either, yeah. as we see by her driving style. But yeah, the, the wah-wah pedal's going crazy. <laughs> yeah, we're doing all that business. Uh, and then one of the thugs uh, hops onto the hood, and she uh, like drives by like the waterfront or something and, and hits the brakes, and he goes flying into the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, he'll obviously show up later but uh crisis is averted for now and then we go home and we have this uh fairly long dialogue scene between brother and sister that it feels tedious but if you actually like pick apart the dialogue it's kind of like prescient to be honest it's kind of like everything he's saying it's like wow nothing's changed since the 70s this is ugly that was the other that was the part that kind of stood out to me it's like what he's saying in the film is probably really relevant at that time and it's still relevant now but yeah it's a it's like wow that, that was kind of heavy man that was it was it was an interesting turn for the film i'll, I'll definitely give it that yeah it's surprisingly good dialogue um high like actually decent writing and all credit to mr fargus like yeah. huggy bear himself uh, he he can act i don't know how often he decides to show up but like more often than not i've I've thought he gave good performances but yeah this dialogue scene there's a lot of exposition that gets relayed to us but there's a lot of just like i don't know social commentary going on here because he does mention that foxy brown's uh ex-boyfriend i guess i think is how he refers to the guy is probably dead because of something involving the drug trade Mm -hmm. um but most of the points that he's hitting here is that the reason I have these these pushers and dealers hunting me down trying to beat my ass is because I owe them money. And the reason I owe them money is because I have no means to get money. Um, and he, he just ex- he exposits about all these problems in society that unfortunately still exist to this day that he 
he's not an athlete he's not a celebrity he just doesn't have the means to get out of the hole that he's in mm-hmm. which makes him desperate which makes him do really awful things um and meanwhile you know part of the appeal of, i think the foxy brown character and i did say this uh, earlier about her just pam greer's acting style is that she's both like warm and kind of like motherly but like when asses need to be kicked Mm-hmm. She, it's not too much of a leap between the two of them, honestly. Like, like warm and motherly is like just a nudge away from exactly that. I'd like, I've complete like there were two scenes that I really remember from Mars Attacks. Uh, that is when uh, Tim Burton's wife at the time is with Martin Short. Like that whole scene, which is super eerie. But it came screaming back to me when you said that she was in that film. Cause I remember her screaming at her kids. Uh, playing video games in the arcade, I'm like, damn, she flipped a switch. And you're, yeah, yeah, that's a that's a fucking mom. <laughs> that was a mom switch. Yeah, no, she is in charge in that household. <laughs> Ooh, she was mad. Uh, <laughs> that's the kind of mad where you step back, like, oh, I gotta watch this. <laughs> <Your kids are dead. laughs> oh yeah, I've been in the room for that when your your friend's mom flips out on them, and you're just like, don't move. I'm just, I'm just here eating pizza, man. <laughs> I don't want to get collaterally smacked. Yeah, I'm just. <laughs> Yeah, for thanks real. for the pizza, Mrs. Just, Henderson. Like, <laughs> reflexively put your your hands over your ears, <laughs> just like like no shoes gonna get thrown, right? <laughs> like, I didn't tell him to say that. I'm gonna call uh, yeah, my mom. I, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, our our next scene, I believe, is where we're introduced to the villains of the film. Uh, are actually like almost all of our principal villains, to be honest. So we have a number one and a number two. Number two. And then two. we have. <laughs> and then a goon squad in the form of these two ruddy complexioned fellas who basically serve as like the muscle uh, for a lot of our action beats. Yeah. Um, we have uh, I, Catherine, who is the main. Uh, the main villain. She's we haven't been introduced to her yet. She's uh, Doctor Clawing in the uh, chair at first. Uh, you you don't get to see her. Uh, you've got her number two, who's just. I don't think he really does anything. I think that he's just like a stay. Like he's just a side piece for her, like uh, just kind of there. And then you've got yeah the two the two muscle men. Um, Catherine, uh, the lady who plays Catherine, is also named Catherine in real life. Uh, she passed away a few years after this. Um, she is, I, I don't think anybody phones it in, but I think she's probably the funniest of the uh, the actors in this movie because I, she feels like she would be good on soap operas. Like, she's a soap opera actress that got put into a film. Yeah, uh, she's very over the top. Uh, she's very hammy. And uh, Kyle, before we started recording, was doing an imitation of her, her face acting, mm. as you described it. There's a lot of... S- not very subtle facial tics and twitches that happen and she kind of like sucks on every line like she she's not chewing the scenery she's just like drinking in all the words that she says like she 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 savors her screen time Uh, she's very dramatic (laughs) yes she's very dramatic but yeah the face twitching there's like the face twitching. I like. I had to pause for a sec. Cause I was laughing. I'm like, oh, this is great. This is great face face. I've never seen anything like it, and I don't know how to describe it to you. Uh, I don't know if you have a way to describe it. I I really can't. You have to see it to believe it. But um, the, I kind of wish that she had just like a walking glass of whiskey or something throughout this entire movie because it seems so appropriate. Mm-hmm. Uh, her her relationship with Stevie is a lot of fun in this movie. Uh, Stevie, I want to say is like. If Dennis Quaid went down the darkest road possible, 
like he, that's Stevie is what would result at the at the end of that journey. Like he that. he looks like him a little bit. He's a little bit rough around the edges. Like mm-hmm. he's, he's he hasn't had as much plastic surgery as Dennis Quaid has. Um, but Stevie is a monster. Uh, he's very explosive and aggressive. But the, and a creep. the dynamic and a creep. Uh, but the dynamic that exists between the two characters, Catherine and Stevie, is a lot of. It's not fun, but it's interesting yeah. because they're really into each other. Is well, she... I think she's really into him. True, true. Because he has a uh, moment. She's like, "I love you," and he's just like, "I love you." Like he's just like <laughs> we can see his face to the camera, and it's like I think he's just placating her because I, I... he 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 most certainly loves her money based yeah. on his his wardrobe and his. Uh, choice of jewelry, by the way. His oh, medallions. he looks like a scumbag. Absolute nasty. Yeah, he, he's gross. He looks like an asshole. Yes. Um, but yeah, this this man has the audacity to wear straight up medallions. <laughs> he <laughs> has a med- multiple multiple medallions in every scene. He has a new one. <laughs> if she hasn't been given a venereal disease by him, she's like in the process of getting one from him because that dude's gross. Yeah. I mean, she does have that. Like, I don't know. Like lack of physicality to her maybe she yeah. <laughs> like maybe she caught a bug at some point and she's just like oh <laughs> like it hurts everything hurts, everything hurts. <laughs> but but yeah she she does get off on uh stevie's nastier tendencies though which again is kind of an interesting dynamic between the two characters where when he gets nasty she gets like horny Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we like cut back to her like making her face her <laughs> like facial movements no dialogue but there's like a bit where he's basically he's like kind of menacing his two goons because they failed to get uh huggy bear mm-hmm. uh, they were supposed to like beat his ass and bring him back and get the money um and there's a bit where he's like slapping the one guy on either cheek like just a pop 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 <laughs> like you stupid son of a bitch <laughs> no, but we cut back to her and she's like Oh, Stevie. <laughs> oh, that was so hot, Stevie. Yeah. Do it again, Stevie. <laughs> are we just gonna do uh, are we just gonna do uh Larry Tate? Are we just gonna do fucking Jim Carrey in uh the cable guy as her voice? <laughs> the password is Yeah. Nipple. Larry. <laughs> uh, it's either that or Oliver Platt from uh year one. <laughs> oh what a performance um so yeah it's it's, it is the shining he is the shining star of that film so yeah huggy bear is gonna stay so there yeah we have to go get huggy bear i'm just gonna call him huggy bear it's way more fun it's Uh, so much easier it's so much easier (laughs) it's either that or link but link i'm just thinking zelda um yeah i'm thinking the matrix man (laughs) oh yeah there's a link in there too um so yeah we we learned that uh Foxy had a boyfriend that's just somehow disappeared, um, but she's heading out for the day. Uh, uh, Huggy's going to stay with her for a little bit, uh, but she heads to the hospital, and she, there's a fellow laying in a bed, and his face is all bandaged up. And uh, this is her. This is her beau, uh, Michael. Yeah, this this scene is where uh, as soon as she walks in his his door, uh, we get we get. <laughs> We get this song that plays. It's 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 a brown it's chicken a, brown cow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that. I'll yeah. have to use that. Yeah. It's it's lovely. the The lyrics are tremendous. Uh, seek it out if you if you're into this sort of thing. But yeah, uh, his face is all bandaged like like the Invisible Man or some shit, and he's just laying in this hospital bed, and uh, she just starts kissing him on it on his on his chest and nipples and stuff and uh that's that's how he gets woken up and by the way i am 
going to isolate uh, the close-up of his facial reaction to this, mm. and I'm going to make a gif of it because he's doing some shit with his lips. It's just, <laughs> it's wonderful. <laughs> it's hilarious. I'll, I'll make the gif and I'll send it to you. Kyle. Thank you. Uh, yes, you're very welcome. Uh, but yeah, she just starts uh, just they're just like talking, and she just starts going down on him. Like, uh, I I don't know what that's all about. That's how she wakes him up, basically. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's an expedient way of waking someone up. And he's just like, much. yeah, I mean, yeah, it's very polite. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, he's just like, I can't, I can't just do that. I got to do other things. And he's like, go ahead and close those curtains. So uh, they start to, you know, get things moving. And the nurse comes in to give him his sponge bath, and she shuts that down quick. Uh, I do like Foxy's reaction. Like, she's just kind of over in the corner, like, kind of giggling about it. Um, but the nurse goes to give him a bath, and he still has a boner. And <laughs> she takes off the cover and smacks it, <laughs> to which Foxy also has a, has a little chuckle at. Um, but I guess uh, they're going to get the bandages off that day. I guess he's going to be taking on a new identity, um, like somebody else, because he was an undercover, undercover narcotics agent? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, uh, he, so he was apparently fighting uh, Catherine and Stevie's organization, uh, their their drug running organization, um, and something went wrong. Uh, so this is his way of faking his death and going into hiding, is uh, changing his face. Um, but yeah, th- this comedic beat with the nurse is actually pretty funny because mm. <laughs> yeah, she's she slapped him in the dick. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty great. Um, but yeah, he gets the bandages off, and I guess like some of his associates, like maybe like the top brass from from his government outfit or whatever, show up uh, for the unveiling. And by the way, this doctor does not look like a doctor by today's standards. He's wearing a brown suit. He's got mutton chops up to his lips, like oh. the corners of his lips. Yeah, I don't want that man touching my face. Se- <laughs> I'm seven- sorry. Seventies like facial hair and hair in general was just not. It was not great. The mutton chops were bad. Oh yeah, I, I can't remember exactly what the words were, but I remember reading a, a review for Terror of Mechagodzilla that said instead of building a Mechagodzilla, they should have like just tried to smother Godzilla with the lapels of their suits, mm. uh, because the fashion was that it was like we don't just have lapels; they go past your shoulders. Oh jeez, <laughs> it was hideous. <laughs> I love the fashion in that movie; it, it shaped my childhood, but. Um, yeah, he gets the bandages off, and it reveals that, uh, wow, that is some splendid plastic surgery, because this is a very handsome man. It's almost like the switched actors or something. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, immediately, uh, her, her guy is saying, like, you know, it's all, it's all well and good that I'm, you know, in hiding and whatnot, but I think I want to go take a walk, you know? I want to go outside and, like, strut my stuff showing off my new face. That seems safe. It's like, yeah, I don't know about that, bud, but uh, if that's what you want to do. Um, and he does get permission from his boss. Um, and then there's this this one little bit, though, where before they, they allow him to leave the hospital, um, they hand him, like, a, a letter from, like, the head of the government agency that he works for. And I can't exactly remember the contents of it, but it's like a thank you for your service kind of thing. Mm. But it, it's totally insufficient for what he gave basically where it's like i gave my life and my identity and my fucking face and i gotta like thanks for playing basically in letter form i could see that i'm I'm sure that's how it happens yeah it's like oh thank you so much for your contribution anyway uh we're busy yeah Yeah, 
yeah it's it's nothing but a thank you like no no compensation no not even like a safe house he's basically just released to the public to like shack up with his girlfriend it's like i don't know if we're there yet in the relationship (laughs) it's like so i'm kind of like homeless and i don't have an identity therefore i don't have a credit or you know a savings account or anything i mean fucking uh clarice starling was a trainee and she solved the fucking buffalo bill murders and all crawford did was just like good job starling and that's pretty much fucking it and she got a cake on her you know becoming a a, like an actual agent day yeah, she got an attaboy in the form of a cake. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> good good job. Buddy. It looked like a good cake, though. You're not wrong on that, man. I'm due for a rewatch of that one, too, even though I just watched it, like, barely a year ago. I watched it, like, three month, three or four months. That was, like, five months ago. I'm almost due for a rewatch. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Okay, so our next scene, Kyle, uh, this takes up a few minutes of screen time, so that's good. We can start moving forward in the film here. But this is absolute chaos. This was insanity, the, and the it was timing, it was delightful. The timing of everything, yeah, everything, the the blocking, the choreography, everything. It's very it's, strange. It's utter insanity, but I love it. Yeah, because it's so bonkers. Yeah, Link Link is on the phone with his lady friend, and uh, she tells him that the two guys that were, were looking for him, and he's like, "Did they do anything to you?" Like they roughed me up a little bit, but not much. Like she's not even concerned about it. She's just like, "Yeah, they were just kind of looking for you." And he's like, well, shit, uh, I got to figure something out. But I forgot to mention that uh, before Foxy goes to the hospital, uh, Link is in, or Huggy is in her stuff, and he sees that that newspaper clipping of her boyfriend that went missing, basically. Well, when they come, uh, when Foxy and uh, Michael come into the room, he gets introduced to uh, Huggy, and Huggy has this really, they like really hold on him for like a good ten seconds. He's just like, huh. Michael, and you can see something stewing, but you don't really know what's happening, like what his thought process is. He does remark that something along the lines of like, you remind me of somebody or something like that, but mm-hmm. um, Michael mentions it's like, I, I hope he didn't figure out my secret identity just like that, and she has a good line here that's like, he always has his feelers out like a cockroach. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that, that's something that a big sister says about her, her shit-heel little brother. <laughs> but um, but no, the scene that I was talking about is roughly five minutes of screen time where Michael and Foxy go for a walk. And they're just, you know, arm in arm, taking a stroll down the sidewalk. Kyle's making a face like he doesn't remember what I'm talking about. No idea. I that's because... That's because it has almost no relevance to the plot, but it is five minutes of this movie, and it's batshit crazy. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I might have been on you, Reddit. I, <laughs> I might have been taking you a You may Reddit. have been. I might have been on a Reddit break, because it, I'll be honest with you, about 45 minutes in, it gets difficult to pay attention to, uh, but then it picks up at the end. Yeah, actually, that is unfortunately the pacing of the movie. It it kind of drags really. It drags some serious ass in the middle. Yeah. But uh, when we de- when we do get to the final twenty minutes or whatever, it it rolls real quick and it's mm-hmm. a lot of fun. But the road to that is both uncomfortable and boring, which is a deadly combination. <laughs> it gets really uncomfortable. Um, but no, the scene I'm talking about here is basically the two of them are walking down the street, and then she sees this this guy who's got one crutch and sunglasses on. She recognizes. Oh him. Like, yes, okay, I remember hey, this now. Hey Oscar, she's like, hey Oscar, and he's like, watch what happens. And they he keeps like moving along, and then this guy comes up. He's all dressed super flashy. He's got he's got a gun though, and he's pulling it out because he sees uh, 
this fella come out of this car that like pulls up in front of him and it looks like he's about to shoot this fella we have no idea who any of these people are by the way no (laughs) no context whatsoever and the guy comes out of the car flashy dressed guy pulls out a gun and then oscar throws away this crutch turns out he's not disabled starts swinging (laughs) yeah and he starts beating on the guy that's dressed nice and the guy the the very nicely just dressed gentleman beats his ass grabs a baby stroller throws it into the street a car crashes onto the curb he starts beating up the mom whose baby he just threw into the street the other guy that got out of the car jumps him starts beating his ass a third guy shows up tackles him to the curb starts beating his ass and he just he kicks him off too this guy is unstoppable he's fighting four people and they can't stop him yeah and he tried to kill a baby by the way yeah it doesn't make any sense she's just like wait a minute like she sees him walk she's like just wait a minute like let's just watch, <laughs> watch what happens watch what happens like what the fuck is gonna happen but yeah so i guess we we introduce this now we talked about this before um yeah it's a group of uh neighborhood vigilantes that i'm not sure if they're supposed to be the black panthers but uh, they do talk about being vigilantes, and they do. We do see like the it looks like the Black Power symbol uh, on one of their like I think there's a beret. Somebody's got a beret on or something like that. But we just introduce these guys because they come at the end, and it it kind of helps uh, you know in the movie. But yeah, it's a really interesting way or interesting. It's a weird way to introduce them into the film. It's so bizarre, but you're absolutely right. The only reason we're showing this scene is one to have an action beat, and two. Uh, to have a reason for these guys to show up at the end and and introduce Foxy's relationship between the two of them. But yeah, the way this plays out, though, it's like, I don't know if these Black Panthers are all that tough, man. That was four on one. And they just, the only reason they were able to beat him was because Foxy kicked a trash can in front of him and he took a header onto the street, which, you know, will fuck up just about anybody. But before that, we had four people laying hands on him Kicking him in the stomach, punching him in the jaw, and he fought all of them off without the gun. Yeah. Recruit that guy. Jesus. <laughs> it's implied, I think, that they either uh, dumped him in a different community or killed him. Uh, so basically, like, their operation in this part of town is they're, they're like the local vigilante group that uh, Was the guy removes... a drug dealer? Was, did they say something? Yeah. I, believe, I yeah. believe so. Either that or a pimp. Um, basically, he was an unwanted element of the community, so they forced him out, yes. like with prejudice. Um, but yeah, uh, this this scene exists purely to introduce this vigilante group as players at, in the third act. But uh, the scene that Kyle had mentioned with Huggy Bear happens immediately after this, um, and then we get uh, some banging, sex, yeah. some some sex. I was being a real creep. <laughs> on this part because uh during the sex scene we actually don't i'm like this is where they're going to show it this is where they're going to show the nudity and yeah so michael's got his hands on pam greer's bosom and he's like moving his way down but his hands stay in place so i'm expecting the hands to drop but they never drop so i was like watching it waiting for it to happen i keep teasing it Uh, but because i went in thinking that this was going to be one of those films i was expecting it here and i was disappointed yeah, we, we get some love-making music, um, but this scene is incredibly brief. Um, brief. Again, fairly tasteful by, by the standards of the day. Surprisingly. <laughs> Surprisingly. <laughs> I, I, I was fully prepared for this to just be riddled with, with 
nudity. I was I was fully prepared to have my eyes just like batted with tits, yeah. but like I was just like ah, I have black eyes. But um, no, it this movie is fairly tasteful uh, on that end of things. Although it does get again uncomfortable later on. But uh, we finish banging, um, and Michael prepares to head out for the day, and we have another confrontation between brother and sister, and uh, basically Huggy Bear is playing coy about his intentions here. And uh, he's basically straight up telling her, like, hey, I could make a shit ton of money off of telling the local drug syndicate that uh, your boy is the the agent that was fucking with them not too long ago that they all think is dead. Uh, so he's threatening, basically, to give up Michael's secret identity. And she's being stern with him, kind of saying, like, uh, you wouldn't do that, would you? But, you know. Link's gonna link. Huggy Bear's gonna be him. Uh, so she takes off for the day, and it's made it's made explicitly clear that Huggy Bear actually picks up the phone and straight up just calls them to inform them. So Huggy Bear is no good, uh, as as Kyle had said in in his uh, plot description. Uh, he <clears throat> gives up Michael. Then we cut back to Stevie, and uh, he's just kind of doing some deals for I think heroin via Mexico. Uh, not a whole lot is said here, but basically the good stuff Drugs. is apparently coming through Mexico. Yeah, we're doing drug deals. Uh, Catherine does <laughs> does some more face acting. Yes, more face acting. Uh, yeah. Um, and basically we're, we're getting the operation together to off Michael because uh, now they know who he is and where to find him. Um, and Kyle, what did you think about the way they handled uh, the way Michael's killed here? Uh. Does he say he's going to go out for a walk? Yeah, I think he either goes out like grocery shopping or just for a walk. And he's, he's basically on his way home uh, to, to Foxy's place. Yeah, and uh, I they just they just gun him down on the street basically because, I mean, that's what I remember because he busts in through the door when Foxy's inside, but that's the only thing I really remember. Yeah, I thought it was really tastefully done. Again, uh, surprisingly tasteful. It's actually almost artful. In fact, there, there are some interesting little like payoffs uh plantings and payoffs uh, in this film that i will point out and this this is one of them where uh in the foreground of the shot when we see them shoot him from the car there's there's a like a it's a, a style that you would you would uh pay for parking and it says time expired on it <laughs> as in michael's time on this earth has expired um but yeah uh, we don't actually see him get shot i Foxy goes to get the door. We hear the gunshots. The windows get shot out, and then he falls through the front door onto her. Um, and then we hear the car drive off, like drive off, and she like lays on top of him and like gives a pretty sincere performance, you know, expressing grief. Um, it's pretty effective. And one thing I will say about the use of violence in this film is I want to say that Tarantino learned a lot from watching films of this nature, maybe even this film in particular, because um, just, just the timing. Of, of when violence occurs and the intensity of it feels very much like his style where it doesn't happen all the time but when it does it's explosive um, and this movie is pretty violent for its day mm-hmm. I'll give it that much but yeah Michael is dead and then uh, Foxy Brown goes into Foxy Brown mode because uh, she shows up at Link's place because she, she's not dumb she knows exactly what happened and she, she basically kicks his door in and she's, she has her gun 
and she is just shooting up the place, Kyle. <laughs> I thought she shot him in the chest. Like, cause, uh, when, they're, when she's, like, shooting at him, I'm like, oh, shit, she just shot him in the chest. But it was, like, I think, because a lot of dudes uh, have their shirts half unbuttoned in this movie. I think when he turned, I think his nipple came into frame, and it looked like he had gotten shot in the chest for a second. But, no, uh, yeah, she she tells him, like, basically, if you were my brother, I'd, I'd kill you. Which, I still thought she, I mean, I, I understand your emotional right now. Um, but she could have been, I would say she's probably justified because that's probably the, uh, that was a really shitty thing to do. Cause it also put her life in danger as well. Oh yeah. No, she easily could have gotten shot through that door. Yeah. Like very easily, but yeah, she comes in and, and a uh, huggy bear, it needs to be said, uh, as Kyle had pointed out, has had a phone conversation with a, a lady earlier and, uh, he frequently seems to shack up with her. Uh, they, they like to do their drugs together. It's, it's a ritual. Um, and she's in the room, <laughs> and uh, Foxy Brown. Like, at, I thought that, unlike you, I thought that she had shot the woman oh. because she she goes to the floor, but no, she shoots a little IKEA table in the center of the room, and then the lady goes. To, she like ducks and covers, um, and while she doesn't shoot her brother in the chest, uh, when he cowers in the corner, she does shoot him in the ear. Yeah, she does get him uh, in the ear, which is pretty fucking awesome. Yeah, uh, it's a, it's, you know, it's a safe way to wound someone and let them know you're fucking serious she could have um, popped him in the knee that would have been a good one. Oh, dude that that'll fuck you for life though like like for life like ear it's like you know there's, there's plenty of dudes with like cauliflower ear that have funky looking ears like evander holyfield look at him man he's had a funky looking ear for a couple decades now. yeah he's living the he's living the good life but if you get capped in the knee that's like have fun walking the rest of your life <laughs> like it's, it's, it's gonna be rough <laughs> um but i think basically what transpires here is that uh huggy bear gives up the the name of of like the front that the drug organization is using um for their operation it's apparently like a false modeling agency or something it's an escort um, service yeah yeah exactly um but let's call it what it is <laughs> let's <laughs> um, call it what it is uh yeah, this is where the movie takes a, a strange turn that I was not expecting. Uh, but again, I, I guess if we're doing exploitation cinema, you gotta gotta fart around somehow. You gotta check all these boxes. I don't exactly know what those boxes are, but you know it was a different time. But um, yeah, we get to see Foxy Brown go to this escort slash modeling service, and she has an interview with Catherine herself, and it's kind of a intense little conversation. Basically, Foxy really wants into this organization, apparently, so she can, like, tear it apart from the inside out. Um, but uh, Catherine has some choice words for her that are, like, not so subtly racist, <laughs> um, that are, like, kind of clever in, in how they're worded. Because she's not using any, like, the, the standard words that you would expect, like those trigger words and whatnot. But she says, like, oh, you're, you're really pretty. Almost classic features. It's like, oh, like by what standard <laughs> yeah I, I didn't even catch that yeah uh it's it's subtle but it's 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 effective because remember Catherine is supposed to be the big bad in this movie and she does she does like if she was a professional wrestler she'd be a good heel oh she, yeah she creates a character that's very easily hateable just by the way she looks and the way she carries herself even even without doing anything and she does very little in this movie honestly um, but anyway, Foxy does uh, get brought on board. I mean, for fuck's sake, look at her. Um, yeah. But um, 
we get this like brief sequence when she's being escorted through the house and it's just Catherine shitting all over all the other women mm-hmm. like ba- like she's like you're fat you got fat you're dressed like a whore oh wait you are a whore yeah that's fine <laughs> never mind <laughs> like, she's getting onto the one the second one i'm like she's what do you what do you getting on her for she looks great like why are you being a dick about it um i think she has some insecurities about herself because uh there's a, a moment where uh, this next moment where uh, Foxy Brown is like going upstairs and she catches the eye of what's his name? Gold Chain? Stevie. Stevie catches his eye and he's just like, oh, I'm just going to go make another drink. And by the bar, I can just uh, peer up and see her changing. <laughs> and she's like, Stevie, leave her alone. You're making her uncomfortable. I think she might be a little insecure about herself. So she's uh, getting on to the other girls. Yeah, she's a little bit possessive of Stevie, like yes. you said we don't get the sense that Stevie has the same feelings towards her. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we get some more tasteful nudity in the form of a, a, like a shot from his perspective where, again, nipples are basically obscured by by like the railings, basically. Uh, so she is topless, but you can't really see much. But um, yeah, she, she gets um, all dolled up to go out for the evening. And uh, what was the name of this character? She gets paired up with another gal who's yeah. kind of been into this organization for a long time. She has um, a very like it. Her character she doesn't really do much other than these like next two scenes. Um, she like gives her she like kind of gives her like coaching advice like hey just you know do this do that and she's having this moment outside and like they're gonna go on their next date and then her husband her ex husband and her son come up to say hi to her or say bye to her. It's really yeah. weird. Yeah, this was a this was a very intense part of the film, and in fact, this character's drama is like an entire movie unto itself. Yeah, because this this actress like she has a very strange line delivery, like she has a weird energy to her. But she has one scene in this movie that's like, whoa, mm-hmm. I was not expecting that qual like that level of acting ability, like acting talent. <laughs> it it comes out of nowhere. But yeah, they're about to head out for the evening, both her and Foxy. And her hubby shows up, and he's basically saying like, "Hey, you you gotta pull yourself away from this organization, this this escort service, so you can come back home to live with me and your son or whatever or your your kid." And then Stevie shows up, and her husband throws hands on Stevie, and Stevie just uncorks like a half dozen punches on this guy. Like Stevie got one, then Stevie has to give six in return. <laughs> it's nuts. <laughs> But all of this happens when they're just about to leave the house. Like it, it, this, I don't know where her husband showed up from. He just appears. Like he just steps into frame from out of fucking nowhere, and then yeah. we get fisticuffs for the next minute or two. Um, but you know, one perk of this is that we get the the drama of the overall story amplified in the form of Foxy not only has herself to worry about, she also has this other lady to worry about, and also Stevie gets some more asshole points. Uh, for being a prick and beating up a a man who's being restrained, by the way, who got yeah. one free shot in and then after the fact was basically just helpless. Yeah. Um, we learned that, uh, so they're going to go to this judge orgy, I guess is what you want to call it. It looks <laughs> awful. Accurate. Uh, they're going to go bang these judges and they're like, yeah, they have us hook up with these judges. That way they're like, we're just like, hey, you know, you should probably let this guy off. You know, he's, just, he's boys being boys kind of thing. And if we don't do our job well, uh, then we get in trouble, uh, basically. So it's like 
they're they're having sex for their lives basically it's it's pretty terrifying it doesn't seem like a good operation to work for yeah this other gal i think her name is vicky um it's it's understood that she's been trapped uh working this this particular gig for a very long time and sees no way out so she's despondent but she's also just like hopeless so she kind of takes a bunch of downers every time she has to go out and just does the does the damn thing and, mm. and makes it home alive every night so really rough existence for this poor lady but yeah the drug the judge orgy as Ugh. he called it uh, every line of dialogue in this entire scene i think is an innuendo um or or you know double meaning of some sort usually referencing the legal system um but it it it's the kind of stuff that makes me cringe some people really like this stuff and they get off on it but me i'm just like oh god get me out of yeah. here <laughs> like it, it's pretty rough but yeah it's it's a judge orgy in the in the form of like a bunch of old white guys uh watching porn while fondling women and then they strut themselves up to the the new arrivals in the form of foxy and vicky but yeah every line of dialogue in here is some sort of like either pun or wordplay yeah and it was driving me it was driving me bonkers man <laughs> she said let's take a little sidebar into the other room or whatever yeah it's all just it's just law yeah, jargon adjudicate matters <laughs> it's like i object i want some of them titties <laughs> yeah we, we, <laughs> they get the head honcho the big judge into the other room and uh they start like they start like talking to him at first like you know, this kid, this guy, he was caught having sex with, like, a nine-year-old kid. But you know what? We should probably let him off. I'm like, wait, what are they doing? Like, it's weird. Like, they're saying what the crimes are and saying we should just let it go. It's not that big a deal. It was very strange. Yeah, this, this scene, is, it's funny because the way all the dialogue is written when they have him alone, this this works for a certain type of person. Like, like this this... this really works for a certain type of person where it's like i don't know if it's like cuckolding or whatever but basically these two ladies are just dressing the this judge this judge down like both literally in the form of disrobing him but also just like mocking him and his his lack of penis and things like that it's a fetish it's it's a it's a it it is most certainly a fetish for somebody not for myself yeah everybody's into whatever they're into but it's just interesting how it's it's so focused Mm -hmm. where it's like i don't know if this was like a director or a writer inserting themselves into the script or something it's weird because it sounds like they had a conversation beforehand like we're supposed to do really well in here and she's like you know what fuck them we're not going to do that we're going to do our own thing because when they go in there it's completely different than what she talked about before yeah yeah uh it's interesting because we the audience are not exactly privy to what this plan is but as it unfolds it's like okay so you're going to dress him down um and (laughs) shocker of all shockers he's into it (laughs) um but uh the the final payoff though is uh instead of hopping into bed with him uh vicky kind of like squats on the floor and pam greer entices him up to his feet uh with the promise of disrobing in front of him and then she shoves him and he he like you know falls ass over tea kettle over vicky's back and into the hallway and uh pam greer she has some nasty words for him and uh she shuts the door behind him and locks it and so now he is trapped in this uh hotel hallway with no with nothing to cover his bottom half Mm -hmm. um and uh a whole bunch of like middle-aged women 
uh, just happened to be in the hallway and he attempts to like run away from them or something and he he runs into some other lady down the hall and uh, she like faints and starts screaming and then this this gal up in front of the crowd uh, she has an umbrella and she runs up to his ass and starts beating him on the floor and uh, calls him a lecher and tells him shame shame boo rubbish shame <laughs> shame yeah um so yeah we i guess the next thing is that uh the judge judge does not let the dealers off so the dealers end up going or all the people that they wanted to not go to jail go to jail uh yeah yeah that was the whole point was that he wasn't satisfied with the escort <laughs> service so he didn't do them a solid um so he basically let loose the dogs of hell on on all of their pushers and dealers and stuff but the immediately before that like actually like right after he gets his ass beat with that umbrella is where vicky gets her acting moment this manic it's really, it, it's really weird it's weird but it's like effective because uh, she transitions from like like g- giggling like all bubbly and giggling to just like crying hysterically like a crazy person like a crazy person but again like if you think about like what's been implied with this woman's situation in life yeah it makes sense yeah because her her fear is that yes like foxy gave her a good time tonight but her fear is that oh tomorrow we're all gonna die because uh, that's what's been promised to her uh pretty much anytime she would step out of line so foxy doesn't have the same fear in her and also foxy's you know implied to be a much stronger person in general um but yeah uh the organization takes a, a hit in the form of uh, that judge kind of throwing the book at all their people um and then is this where we we hop to the lady bar yeah i don't know what it has to do with anything i don't know how we no, got here. nothing honestly <laughs> is it literally i mean you could have done a regular bar for this line the black belt and bar stools like you didn't even need to do it at a lesbian bar it just that's where we're at next yeah, it, I mean, it's a really good line, by the way. Yeah. It's like, I, I have a black belt in karate. It's like, oh, yeah, well, I have a black belt in bar stools. Yeah. It, it's, it is a very good line, so I'm glad they found a way to work it in there. But, um, Kyle, you haven't seen Airplane, have you? No. Oh, man. I I, I miss the Zucker Brothers style of comedy, like that, that gag-a-minute style where there's not a serious bone in it, mm-hmm. um, and there's a lot of visual gags and stuff. I love that kind of stuff. Like I miss those movies uh, quite a bit. Uh, there's a scene in the first airplane that reminds me a lot of this one, where it's like we're, we're at a bar, and there's a whole, there's a whole bunch of like nasty-looking patrons that in any other movie you would expect to get into a bar fight. But then, because it's airplane, the two people who inevitably do get into the bar fight are like two Girl Scouts, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they just like smash all the furniture in the place. It's like the most intense, over-the-top bar fight you can imagine. But it's between two like Girl Scouts, essentially. And the the sequence kind of reminded me of that, where it's just like all it takes is one punch thrown, and this entire bar full of women erupts into utter chaos, <laughs> and just everybody starts throwing hands. It's pretty spectacular, if not pointless. Um, but, you know, when it comes to pointless violence in movies, I, I'm all here for it. So I, I welcome shit like this. But it's super over the top. A lot of these ladies took some serious bumps. So I applaud all the all of the jukebox smashing and bar stool breaking <laughs> that all these people had to endure. Uh, it's pretty great. But, uh, yeah, the reason why we're here is this, this entire fight didn't have to happen. <laughs> this entire, like, two, three minutes of carnage um but basically uh 
the like Stevie and Catherine um, thought about who last saw that judge that fucked us. It's like, oh, well, it was Vicky and the new girl. Uh, so they they put out feelers to find the two of them, and and Vicky just happens to be at this bar. Um, so immediately after the bar fight, uh, Stevie's goons show up and uh, grab hold of Foxy and, and Vicky, and uh, we get a bit of foreshadowing that I hadn't thought it hadn't occurred to me until right before we started recording, Kyle, where. Uh, the two heavies uh, from the beginning of the movie that were after Huggy Bear, um, they're like chasing the two gals down an alley, and uh, Foxy actually breaks a bottle on one of their faces, mm. and it slashes him like it, it cuts his face. Put a pin in that. <laughs> um, well, I'll, I'll explain when we get there. Um, but unfortunately, both our ladies get subdued um, by the two goons. Um, I think. Uh, I can't remember. Like, I think Vicky just straight up gets away. Um, and the one guy's threatening to kill Foxy or at least slash her face up. But Stevie shows up just in time to be like, hey, hey, hey keep keep it clean, folks. Beat her ass, but don't don't touch the face. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, they bring Foxy back to the hideout. And uh, I think it's arranged that they're going to shoot her up with heroin. Uh, so Catherine has the idea. They're going to shoot her full of heroin and then drop her off at like their one of their drug labs uh, as like a pit stop for shipping her off to an island to like a, a hideout they have in Haiti uh, that's implied to be like a really really awful place like it's the it's the place you don't want to go we we never actually get to see it um, but it has been brought up by like Vicky earlier in the movie worse than the ranch I think so yeah Yeesh. Uh, yeah, this is. I have the note. Catherine's face twitch acting is great. This is the this is the best part of the face twitch acting here. Uh, I think it's probably when she says, "Give her a shot of heroin and send her to the ranch." Um, <laughs> yes, this next sequence is a bit too heavy. I think uh, a lot of the stuff that happens in this next scene. Um, it's strange. It's too. Two fat dudes that have this shack in the middle of the... It looks like there's the middle of the desert somewhere. Um, she kind of comes to... They've got the, the needles, like all the drug stuff on uh, the thing next to her on the nightstand. And she uh, is making her escape. There's just some fat dude passed out drunk on the couch. And she sees a dude, I think, working on a truck. She goes out the back door. She doesn't get very far because she is brought right back. Yeah, uh, I the construction of of this these scenes, while very uncomfortable and and most certainly I would imagine triggering in a lot of ways, um, good filmmaking. Like it's it's a weird mix where it's like it, I do have to commend the filmmaker for their ability to to make a film because uh, what we have when she wakes up is is a lot of visual storytelling where she's just kind of like navigating the landscape of this nasty fucking hut. Um, and there's just like goofy <laughs> it's like country funk music playing yeah but it has like a chilling atmosphere to it because she has two people who are likely a danger to her one of whom is not aware of her the other one is asleep in the same room as her and her looking all disheveled and beat to hell like trying very quietly to maneuver through the environment so it's very suspenseful and then it almost feels like a I don't know, like a proto slasher movie moment, like maybe even like a Texas Chainsaw type situation where she gets 10 feet out the door and then she gets grabbed. It's like just when it, everything seems like it's in the clear. But uh, thankfully, that whip is used for subduing and no more. 
because uh, that that then things could get I mean things get real uncomfortable that we we don't need any more than that. She gets wrangled with a whip. Well, uh, which is enough. <laughs> if you're making this, I mean this is specifically for black audiences. This is a great way for you to really be angry. Like you're yeah. really pissed at this point because this is not okay what happens. Uh yeah. Well, go ahead. I, I was just going to say I mean it's the it's kind of the unfortunately the rape revenge model mm-hmm. which for a very long time uh when it when it came to i don't know women in film stepping up and getting violent unfortunately this is a trope that gets played out a lot and there unfortunately is kind of a template for these sorts of movies um unfor- and again unfortunately some of those movies happen to actually be very good it's just they deal with very uncomfortable subject matter and they're very unfair um in the way the stories play out because it, it like I think I've seen it written um, that it's the worst way to to use to implement rape in a story is just is to do it callously for for revenge purposes or or, or just callously where it's just a a, a a thing that happens it's a thing that happens to women like the, it, it's it's either used to prompt the action of other characters like to prompt the like vengeance on the part of like say a Charles Bronson or something. Not yep. the person who it was visited upon, but, like, the people around them, their support system or something. That's what I'm thinking, law-abiding citizen. It's just, like, you killed his wife and daughter. You didn't have to do the other thing. Like, you don't have to also do it to the exactly. wife. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, I, I think it was uh, Gail Simone who, uh, she she coined the phrase, uh, women in refrigerators. Oh. Because uh, there, there was a Green Lantern story arc where uh, the, gre- the new Green Lantern's uh, girlfriend gets, like, chopped up and stuffed in his refrigerator. Jesus. And, yeah, and it's, like, one of those things where it's, like, you literally did that. You literally removed that character from, from the table just to prompt action on the part of the male character. Yeah. Like, you did, you did like, the most awful thing to, like, his emotional support system in the form of his girlfriend strictly to push the story forward to get him to a place he needed to be to move the story forward why does beatrix meet her why why do they try to kill beatrix and kill bill why is bill mad at her i never understood that he overreacted he i overreacted <laughs> but did he, she just she, like, like wasn't she wasn't she like getting married and moving on with her life or something yeah but well, i thought they were romantically linked but that's not what it is he, she was just part of that that group of assassins that was my understanding. I mean, they have some sort of connection. Okay. I, I can't. Re- I can't recall if it was physical or, or whatnot, but they did obviously have a connection. Cause she fucking Archer rampages uh, on his ass, like on that whole group. So that's two. It takes two movies for her to kill everybody. Yeah, and and again, this is one of those things that I can't not see Tarantino drawing Mm -hmm. inspiration from this movie. He has cited both this director and this film as a favorite of his, and he. He's one of those guys that can get away with wearing his influences on his sleeves. Like that's he, part of he his makes, charm. That's part of his charm, and and it helps that he's a very very good writer, yeah. which is a huge difference maker when it comes to doing that sort of thing. But um, yeah, Kill Bill borrowed quite a bit from uh, Shura Yukihime, uh, Princess Snowblade. That's uh, a Japanese rape revenge film about a woman that gets raped and then goes on a killing spree. I think that's... Very, a, very similar to Kill Bill. That, is that in the Criterion Collection? I don't know. Um, it might be, but it's it's one of those movies. There's, like, a handful of rape-revenge movies that are actually thought of as, you know, good movies, not not just, you know, 
that kind of movie but that one is most certainly like a japanese genre film like it's not super high class cinema but it is effective cinema um it is it is worth a watch if you're interested lady snowblade um, correct yeah yeah or snowblood i think snowblood yeah you're right yeah um and then what was the other one? Oh, um this act of the film kyle um, I could be wrong because I only saw it the one time and it was when it first came out. But uh, this act at the ranch made me think of a lot of uh, Django Unchained, where we bit. have that that pit stop just preceding the third act where it's like, whoa, I wasn't expect I wasn't expecting this character to go this place for a few minutes and then have the story resume. It feels very similar to that. Is that the scene with Jonah Hill? Oh, I can't even remember. That's the one where they're all wearing the hoods, though, right? I think so. I've only seen yeah. The- that, that's er- that's earlier in the movie. I'm talking about like a scene very similar to this, where like he he has a big action beat. I think he gets subdued and then he gets tortured or something. Mm. And it, and it's like it happens in a weird spot in the movie, like only like a half hour before the finale. I only saw it the one time, and at the end, I was just like, "Huh, that was a." That was interesting. Like, I didn't know how to feel at the end of Django, so I haven't, I've only seen it the one time. I might give it a rewatch. Okay, well, I, I will be, like, we can move on, but I, I also wanted to point out that this particular moment, while while rape and drugs aren't always involved, um, is kind of a trope of a lot of older, like, quote, action movies, like proto-action movies, more adventure movies, like westerns in particular, like uh, Yojimbo has a sequence where Toshiro Mifune gets beat he gets beat to hell and he's kind of like down and out for a, a short portion of the film and he you know uses his wits to get out of the situation and whatnot but he is physically subdued this like supremely physical and talented person does have a moment where he's like kicked kicked when he's down um and then I want to say some of those uh Sergio Leone uh, like spaghetti westerns also have that happen where you know our hero has to go down in the gutter for a, a solid chunk of the movie before we can move on. Mm. It's kind of like Hero's Journey kind of horseshit. But anyway, um, yes, uh, Foxy Brown is treated really awfully here. Yes. Uh, it gets real uncomfortable. Fortunately, uh, the the worst elements of it are not shown on screen. We do a fade to black. Again, fairly ta- if it's really ub- ugly subject matter, but if you're going to put it in there, like if it's got to be there, this is probably the best way to do it i guess yeah did you watch the last house on the left remake i did Oof. uh was that where uh, justin chatwin gets his hand down the 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 disposal yes i think yes. it was yeah I, I wrote an article on that scene because they have to kill that man like five times yeah. <laughs> seriously poor justin chatwin gets killed like five fucking times in that scene and he has it coming uh yeah he's got it coming <laughs> Oh yeah, but that that was weird casting because um, the guy who played the dad in that one is the guy with no eyebrows. Garen Dillahunt. The... Sure. No, no, Tony uh, Gold. No, Tony Goldwyn has no. Uh, Tony Goldwyn is the guy with no eyebrows. Yeah, he he has no eyebrows, and I'm so used to him playing assholes. Yeah. That it was so weird to see him play like you know the dad. Like I was like, oh, he's he's is he an asshole be the dad. Guy? No, just a dad, huh? Okay. Well, I mean, the the thesis, at least of the original one, was that like everybody under the right circumstances has a little devil in them. Mm-hmm. Like every everybody has a little viciousness in them. So you know, in, in that sense, it's appropriate. I don't I don't remember that remake being particularly good, but that kill 
is pretty fucking tasty. I did enjoy that, especially because Justin Chatwin's not exactly my favorite. Yeah. Oh, no, I was, I was mentioning it because, like, this is, like, a, a because, yeah, we fade to black for the rape scene, whereas The Last exactly. House on the left, I remember watching, I'm like, oh, my God, this is fucking nuts. Like, it's fucking brutal. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the original film had the same reputation. Yeah. I Spit on Your Grave, I think, is the most notorious. I think um, my stepmom walked out of the... She was in the theater for the original one, and she walked out uh, of that film. She was just like, I, I can't. I'm not going to watch that. Like, it was just... Okay. She was one of those people that just did not react well to that movie. All right, well, I'll, I'll say it now because I really can't think of another t- opportunity to talk about these kinds of movies, yeah. but... um. Uh, Sam Peckin, it's not a subject that Kyle and I willfully bring up very often. (laughs) It's not what Um, we like to talk about, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's one of those words that, you know, you you think before you say it out loud, honestly, in public. Like, on a podcast, maybe not as much, but in public, it's like, is there another word I can use here? Could we just not talk about this? But um, it's relevant to this conversation. Yeah, Yeah, Sam Peckinpah's uh, Straw Dogs. It's Mm. a very good movie. I've heard it is. that has a very uncomfortable rape scene, mm. but it is a very good movie, and he's a very good director. Okay. And end of conversation. Let's stop. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Enough. Enough. <laughs> Enough with the clown. With the clown. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh. Black, if you haven't seen Black Dynamite, you should check it out because that that is Michael Jai White's baby, and it is a good time. Yeah, I was gonna say the other thing in this movie was uh, the use of slurs. Uh, the way it's thrown out, uh, I was uncomfortable because this is a time when these slurs, like, it wasn't as big of a deal. Like, they were still still very biting. Like, it was still very vicious. But the way it, it flows in the movie, it's weird how it feels so natural from the act, like, in, in the story. And other words that I didn't even know, I'm like, oh, that's it. I have never even heard that one. There was one in particular that they used. I'm like, I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. The way it's integrated into the dialogue is very seamless, mm-hmm. such that it, it's like, it, it was, I don't know, probably much more commonplace, I guess, yeah. than it is today, where it's like now you have screenwriters who think twice before they do things like that. Some. But for this kind of film, it's like, some. <laughs> <laughs> some. There's Tar- one, one Tarantino not being one. Yeah, Tarantino not being among them. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, back in the day, I'm sure they didn't think twice about. It. In fact, they maybe encouraged it because, like you said, it prompts a reaction. Yes. And anytime you have an audience reaction, even if it is outrage, you're probably doing something right. Um, but yeah, uh, what follows though is as we were talking about rape revenge movies, uh, it's only appropriate that you know something awful happens to these two guys, um, and it most certainly does. This is a this is what I was talking about when I was referencing. Uh, explosive violence this, this um, definitely has the tarantino feel this sequence is very much so very much so i mean um, and how does okay so the first fat guy gets set on fire how does the other fat guy die okay so the way this plays out is uh, she wakes up and she is tied to the bed uh so first step is getting out of bed and she leans over and uh, we actually do get a nipple here uh, we do it's, it's casual it's it's casual it's utilitarian nipple though mm-hmm. it's not like she's it's not like she's like showing her goods off it's like she's just rolling over in bed yeah and it's just inc- it's incidental nipple. it's incidental it nipple yes <laughs> um but she uh she leans over to the nightstand and she like flips a razor blade over 
on the, uh, I think the guy was using it to cut drugs or something, but um, she grabs a razor blade with her tongue and between her teeth and she uses that to cut herself free. And then she, what we see is her uh, grabbing a trio of uh, clothes hangers and she's bending them into a shape. And it's like, okay, I'll, I'll, I have that at the ready, but she siphons some gasoline from outside because uh, the one guy's like a mechanic working on a truck. Um, and she like sucks the gas up into a hose and she has that and she's just kind of like letting some gas into the into the hut and then the one guy uh he comes into the room and he's like the fuck are you doing and she whacks him with the with the like rod made of clothes hangers and it rakes a chunk of his face off Mm. and kyle if you want if you watch this like if you like pay attention there there's some sort of juicy bits that fly off of this man's face when he turns away like i think all he did was like smash a tomato on his face like like uh Jack Nicholson Joker style. <laughs> so like when he gets shot in the mouth. But but um yeah, she rakes a chunk of his face off and she covers him in gas. And then the other bigger guy, who apparently was a former NWA pro wrestler, I uh, see he that. looks the part. Oh yeah, he looks the part and lovely singing voice, by the way. Hmm. <laughs> um he comes running into the room in his boiler suit. And she th- she like sprays him in the face with the gas, and he has yeah. Go ahead. He has a hilarious line. He's like, he says, "This is gasoline." Yeah, it's <laughs> it's dubbed too. That's that, that nice thing. It's like, "This is gasoline." It's pretty funny. <laughs> it's but, great. But yeah, I I would say um, it's got, it reminds me of Kill Bill. Two of my fa- one is a death, and I'm assuming the other one's a death as well. But they don't die on screen. Is when uh, uh, Madsen gets bitten by the snake and. Um, Daryl Hannah is just telling him about the snake, and then they fight, and then she gets the eyeball plucked out. So I can see the eyeball plucking kind of being this guy with the eyes, and then the other guy gets set on fire, much like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, no, the the timing of the violence, like how something really awful happens really quick, kind of out of nowhere. Oh, like fuck, it, feel, yeah. it feels very punchy in a very Tarantino sort of way, but... Yeah, she sets fire to the whole hut, and the one guy smashes through the wall. He gets to do a full-body fire gag. It's pretty spectacular. Yeah. Other guy's just, like, cowering in the corner. I'm pretty sure he melted or something. But, um, yeah, she does get free, and then we cut back to our our goon squad, and uh, Stevie's on the warpath because he hears about what happened to the hut because it blew the fuck up. Uh, and he comes up with the bright idea to interrogate Huggy Bear because uh, he's like, well, Huggy Bear gave us that tip. We know he's related to Foxy Brown, so he probably knows where she got to. And uh, we have a back-to-back, shockingly violent scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, very intense. Uh, basically, Huggy Bear is in bed with his his gal pal, who's apparently all he does is do drugs and bang this girl. Um, there are worse, uh, things, there are worse ways to spend your time, yeah. Huggy Bear knows what works for Huggy Bear. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like, like, Huggy Bear is very self-centered. He is a piece of shit. But he knows what makes Huggy Bear happy. Mm-hmm. He's a man of simple pleasures. But, um, yeah, the like he gets brought to the door because uh, there's like a, a pusher that's like, hey, like, hey, I have some drugs. You want some? And uh, he opens the door very foolishly, and uh, Stevie comes running in with a double-barreled shotgun, and he starts screaming in his face. And I like the, I like the direction uh, that was given to Stevie's actor because his hands are visibly shaking mm-hmm. while he's holding the shotgun up. And I'm pretty sure he accidentally shot Huggy Bear when he's when he's in the chair, but this gag when he shoots the chair is 
really striking. Like, it's really awful. Because, like, he shoots the chair, and there's no squib or anything on Huggy Bear, who has a bare chest, by the way. He's just, like, in a bathrobe from the waist down. And, like, feathers fly out of the chair, and, like, the one leg of it gets blown out. And then we cut to a wider angle, and Huggy Bear's, like, whole side is just splattered with blood. And he does this header onto the floor, and he's, like, contorted into this really weird shape that's, like, it looks oddly genuine. Because it's not a glamorous fall. Like, it looks like he just, like, got hurt and fell and didn't catch himself. Um, and he just kind of, like, stroke. He, like, stumbles into the bedroom and uh, he gets killed off screen. And uh, the other goon that's with Stevie uh, takes a straight razor to Huggy Bear's gal's throat. And uh, we don't actually see the cut, but we see her, like, leaning over the bed. And in close up, we just see this steady stream of blood pouring out. It's, it's pretty fucking vicious. And. And the guy, uh, the one goon's uh, closing comments of that scene are pretty... He, he gets some goon points here for like, oh, it's a shame, she's kind of hot. Yeah. It's like, dude, you nearly removed that woman's head very casually. <laughs> it's like, you've done this before. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, but next scene, I think, is uh, the Black Panther meeting, correct? Yeah, this is... She meets up with... Uh, Foxy Brown meets up with the Neighborhood Watch guy, and they just have a whole conversation about justice and revenge. She's like... You're talking about, it's like, you're talking about revenge, not justice. She's like, well, I'll take care of revenge. You take care of justice kind of thing. Uh, but I don't know what's said other than that, really. Um, and I don't know how she gets on to Sid Haig. Yeah, um, I'm not entirely sure what her uh, argument was that convinced them to, to join up with her cause. But she does gain their support. And it is worth noting that a lot of the people in the room are the guys we saw in the street fight earlier. But... Um, she has a plan. Like she needs their resources, but she has the plan. Which again, her name's her name's on the marquee. It's a, it's Foxy Brown the movie. She may as well be in charge. Um, and she asks them, like, do you know who the pilot is that's been ferrying the heroin back and forth between here and Mexico? Um, and then we cut to Sid Haig, uh, Tootie fucking Fruity himself. Yeah. Sid Haig is <laughs> the first film I've seen Sid Haig in where he doesn't say fuck. Yeah, he, he's he's actually uh, he's his dialogue's pretty clean. He doesn't have a whole lot of profanity. In fact, he's a smooth customer in this. <laughs> I, it's kind of interesting to see uh, see him in a role like this because I've only seen him in Rob Zombie stuff. I think I'm gonna watch House of a Thousand Corpses later just because we've been talking about him so much. Like we've been talking about him like that's a good that's a fun Sid Haig performance in there. Um, but yeah, he uh, he looks so young. He looks so healthy and youthful. <laughs> Yeah, he unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago. Yeah, uh, he's a, he was a very prolific actor, and uh, he he had a particular charisma about him that you could insert him into literally anything, and he would kind of steal the show a little bit. The man, um, if you can hear him say "God damn it," he's got a great "God damn it." <laughs> he reminds me of my grandpa. My grandfather had a great "God damn it." Uh, that that's a really solid tool to have in your kit, man. Did you? Th- um, that, it, it's one of those goddamn it's where you're like, oh, I know that man's frustrated. <laughs> that man is mad. <laughs> that man is really, really pissed. pissed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, she uh, she bellies up to the bar and she uh, kind of sweet talks Sid Haig. It doesn't take a whole lot of sweet talking because she's yeah. you know dressed to the nines and he's Sid Haig. Yeah, I was gonna uh, say. even in the seventies, Sid Haig. Is, I'm sorry, buddy, you're punching above your weight. But although I seen a picture of his wife like before he passed away, really, 
Sid, Sid Haig, he, he he had some cards, man. He had a lot of cards to play or something. Come on. Um, oh, yeah, man. Like, you will not be disappointed. Sid Haig did very handsomely for himself. Oh. Um, but we get a, a really fun scene here where it's uh, Stevie and Catherine um, getting ready to receive uh, the drug shipment. So Stevie's like, well, I can't trust the goon squad. They've kind of been sucking the gas pipe past couple sessions or whatever. Uh, so he says, uh, you know, I think I'm going to go out and I'm going to head out to the airfield myself. Catherine's like, be careful and uh, make sure to make out with me really hard for the next five minutes. Um, and what's really fun about the scene is they're really, it's a longer scene than it needs to be, but I, I understand now what they're doing now that I've seen the whole film. Because the whole time I'm watching this, this scene, I'm like, I'm not really having a good time watching these two white people rub up on each other man it's a little like, gross can we can we be done it's it's a little gross like they're both dressed hideously yeah. <laughs> it's like his hair is ridiculous i don't need to see any more of this but in retrospect it's like oh they're they're talking about sex the whole time and she's just like i can't wait to hop in bed with you when you're back mm-hmm. when you're back implying that she's like waiting for something to happen involving his junk Ah. That's not gonna be there the next time that they see each other. Yeah, I was like, he's <laughs> it's pretty great. I, my my thought was like, well, he's not gonna make it, and it's like, actually, he is gonna Part make of him it. Is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Sid Haig and uh, Foxy are up in the plane. Uh, he's doing his job as the courier uh, via plane, and she's like pretending to be drunk. He is most certainly actually drunk. <laughs> um, but uh yeah all the goons they head out they drive out to the airfield they're getting all their money ready to receive the drugs we also see that they have like a a police barricade like sealing off like a private road or something so apparently they're paying off the cops to help them out with this operation and i'm paraphrasing because this scene is very very long but the good parts are really really good um but basically uh sid hake lands the plane Uh, we get to see the black panther guys uh intercept the barricade and disarm the police uh, so foxy's backup has arrived uh, so all is going according to plan and while sid Haig is handing off the drugs foxy grabs control she grabs control of the plane and she's driving it mm-hmm. she's not flying it but she's driving it and she turns it around she does a 360 i mean 180 yeah <laughs> um, and uh she points she points the plane at the goons and sid Haig, thankfully because he's sid Haig. Uh, he he does a tactical roll out of the way, and we get to see him like picking up the last of his money as he's heading off. Um, but the one goon, uh, he does a uh, Michael McDonald from Austin Powers. <laughs> no! <laughs> yeah. He does that because I don't. He doesn't attempt to do any lateral movement. Uh, <laughs> he I think he runs straight at her, um, and yeah, he gets hit by the prop of the plane. And he explodes. He turns into a million people. It's like an Austin Powers death. Like, it's it's all, like, just chunks of meat just going, yeah. No, he is rendered unto chunky salsa. Yeah. And it's delightful. But uh, the reason why I said put a pin in uh, him being slashed with that bottle earlier is like, well, she returned to finish the job mm-hmm. with a bigger blade. <laughs> yeah. And the payoff is glorious. Uh, yeah, it's, it's probably the most cartoonishly violent moment in the movie, and... Every time I watch it, I can't help but go, yeah! <laughs> um, and then <laughs> we also get this <laughs> this zoom-in shot of a dude post up in a doorway going, ah! <laughs> and 
and she like rams the plane into this little shack they have mm-hmm. next to the the landing strip uh, and it's implied that he is also rendered unto chunky salsa uh, black panthers roll up they blast the remaining goons with goons uh and then stevie tries to drive off but he gets headed off by the black panthers and kyle do you want to mm-hmm. uh, explain to us what what Stevie's punishment is for being such a hideous dresser and such a shit heel of a human being throughout this entire film. Yes. Uh, so the Black Pan, uh, uh, the neighborhood watch, they get him and they throw him up against the car and they, I know what's going to happen. They, they take his arms, they spread them, they pull down his pants and spread his legs and they're like, oh no, they're going to, they're going to shoot his penis off. And then... Foxy hands the dude a knife. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, they're gonna chop this man's penis off. I couldn't believe it. I didn't think we were doing that in seventies movies. I didn't think that happened until later. But they most definitely chopped this man's penis off. It's fantastic. Um, but actually, I, I had said put a pin in this, um, so I did look it up. Uh, so I told you I uh, I am slightly well versed in. Uh, Japanese exploitation cinema from the 70s, uh, largely because of Sonny Chiba. Uh, just prior to the release of the first Kill Bill, um, a lot of I, there was a uh, there was a lot of Japanese DVDs that were getting released in this country um, as a way to like cash in on the what they would hope would be the success of Kill Bill, and it most certainly paid off. Um, so a lot of Sonny Chiba movies uh, got distributed in the U.S. Uh, around the time Kill Bill was coming out, and I gobbled them up. Um, and there is a movie called The Street Fighter that is one of his most famous movies, or maybe potentially infamous. Um, and there is a scene where he castrates a man with his bare hands. Nice. And it occurs on screen. It's awesome. Isn't that what happens? So we get to. Isn't that what happens in Sin City? Doesn't the doesn't the one guy get uh, his balls ripped off just by hand? Yes, the that yellow bastard. Yeah. Um, Nick Stahl, who. His career may as well have stalled. Um, I don't know what the fuck happened to him after John Connor. Um, oh, that was him? But yeah, yeah, that was him. Uh, Bruce Willis, yes, he does tear his junk off and then pound his face into mush. But yeah, Sonny Chiba grabs a dude's package and then you don't actually get to see the genitalia, but he like rips out like a bloody chunk of cloth that has some like chicken gizzards in it or something. Yeah. And then he gives this disgusted look because he like, he's just like giving his intense face. And then he looks at his hand, and he's like, ew. <laughs> like, I just did that. Why did I do that? Um, but yeah, uh, the reason why I point that out is um, apparently the Street Fighter came out before Foxy Brown. Hmm. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if castration was a thing in exploitation cinema. Like, I'm sure it's always been a go-to just because of the... Everybody has a reaction to that particular yeah. form of mutilation. That's, that's really nasty and personal. Every, yeah. Everybody has a reaction to that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I love, I love the editing. Um, so we, like I said, we get a lot of cartoonish edits like this, like the time expired thing and the, the blade to the guy's face. And then immediately following the castration, we cut from Stevie's face going, ah, looking all pained and in agony to a close up of a, a photo portrait of him looking all happy yeah. and like, smiling. it's, it's hilarious. I didn't know. Like it's that. a hilarious edit. So it's like you get to see Stevie at his worst and then Stevie at his best. And then, you know, Catherine's like walking around her mansion or whatever, looking all wistful uh, at Stevie's photo. And she even like picks it up and kisses it. <laughs> it's like, oh, lady, lady, uh, you are not ready for what's about to happen. Yeah, you are not. <laughs> 
but yeah uh our uh, final confrontation immediately follows this it's it's very expedient and i think it was a very good move on the part of the filmmakers because like i said this movie does drag pretty badly in the middle but when it when it's on it's actually pretty fucking cool mm. um and this is one of the good scenes too actually die hard the end of die hard feels very similar to this like if you think about it kyle the first one yeah let Word. me explain i yes please do <laughs> explain yourself uh so foxy brown just shows up in Catherine's hideout and at this point stevie's out of the picture uh it's implied he's dead but you know he may just be mutilated uh, for all we know um and the goon squad is down to just like two guys uh the the guy with the slashed face is exploded at this point but the other guy that had the the straight razor he's still around so we have two goons and we have Catherine. and uh foxy shows up and casually just strolls into the room unarmed apparently because they pat her down but she has this red bag that has something in it and she's like take a look at this and the one goon walks it over to Catherine. Catherine's like what am i looking at here and they take a minute to like build some suspense and we cut back to foxy and she's kind of like casually playing with her hair looking all innocent and stuff and then Catherine pulls out a jar we don't actually see what's in the jar but she yells she screams oh stevie (laughs) and then she drops it and we see it shatter and some some form of gore comes out of it so it's understood that that is stevie's junk in a jar and she recognizes stevie's junk in a jar in a jar apparently so maybe she has seen it before um but then we see foxy brown take her very small pistol out of her afro and then she shoots one of the goons and then she like ducks down and shoots the other goon twice in the forehead Mm -hmm. it's amazing like i'm not entirely sure how this effect was achieved probably the same way they did in taxi driver um but it's like bang bang you see the holes like appear very clearly on the guy's head it's it kind of a shocking effect for 1974 and then uh, Catherine draws a gaudy knife, and zombie walks up to her, and Foxy just casually yeah. shoots her in the arm, like bitch, no, <laughs> like, yeah. like, like, just, just no, just just don't, just don't. Um, but yeah, it's implied I think that Foxy is just gonna leave her alive, either that or like send her to Haiti uh, to have you know a, f- a fate worse than death visited upon her. Um, and then yeah the movie closes with foxy getting into one of the one of the neighborhood watch people's cars and then zoom in like freeze frame on her face and then credits and and reprise of the theme song yeah but but do you see the diehard connection yeah i was talking about yeah i see it now happy trails tape 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 afro yeah one of the yeah it shoots one guy that the other one in the head yeah 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 Yeah. I, I think there's a connection there. I, I see it. Die Hard stands on its own, obviously, but, you know, inspiration comes from wi- the wildest of places sometimes. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, that was Foxy Brown. And, you know, I think we I think we did it, Kyle. I think yeah. we actually made something out of this conversation. <laughs> I say, I think, I'm impressed. I think we might have. Yeah. I, I wasn't sure what this was going to turn into, but I, I think we, we managed to navigate foxy brown pretty well yeah but um yeah kyle i we'll have to see about doing jackie brown because you like i said you, you have been rallying pretty strongly for doing that one um i i do kind of want to 
take a look at as many different types of action movies as possible. Um, but at the same time, like I said, I, I really do want to get into that with you because it sounds like you're like itching to jump right in. It's just one of those good movies that like you haven't seen a good movie in a while. You're just like, I've watched a bunch of crap recently. And then you watch. So have I. <laughs> and you watch that and you're like, oh, this is really good. And it's been like, it's just been sitting there for years, just not watching it. And nobody really talks about it. And I'm like. We've, we're doing like movies like catching up on cinema like obscure stuff I'm like that's a good one because all the other Quentin Tarantino movies people know like it, it's all part of popular culture like Jackie Brown's just kind of swept under the rug like nobody really talks about it so I figured it'd be a fun one and it would fit this month but yeah it would definitely be an extra episode if you're wanting to hit you know if you're trying to be more diverse with the choices I mean that's how I'd like to go about it but we'll see like it, if I can, if I can get some audience input on that, we'll we'll see. But like, at the moment, I was hoping to take a pit stop in Hong Kong for a bit mm-hmm. because uh, Michelle Yeoh and Cynthia Rothrock in their heyday, holy fucking shit! Uh, if you haven't seen it, Kyle, you are missing out because uh, they they really were spectacular. Uh, Rothrock in particular, I think she she only was able to give her best when she had the right people working with her. Because uh, some of her American pictures just, I don't know, she wasn't being asked to give as much, I guess. But in Hong Kong, they really pushed they really pushed her, and she really delivered. She stood up. She, like, stepped up to the task. And uh, I know both you and I have been talking about Atomic Blonde forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so we may as well just do an episode on it just because, um, surprise, surprise, like, Kyle actually was the one who got me to appreciate that movie a little bit more because... I was a little lukewarm on it initially, but then he got me to rewatch it, and I was like, holy shit. <laughs> like, yeah, this is a lot better than I thought it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, uh, uh, we have no shortage of uh, lady action movies to dip into, so we'll see We'll see what this month offers. But um, in the meantime, though, this has been Foxy Brown uh, from 1974. I think it was directed by Jack Hill. I could be wrong on that. Something Hill. Yeah. Right? Um, anyway, in the meantime, if you'd like to catch up on any of our other Catching Up on Cinema content, you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, we also have a couple social media accounts in the form of an Instagram at Catching Up on Cinema, as well as a Twitter at Catching Cinema. So feel free to hit me up with either of those. Uh, and the podcast is available on pretty much any platform you can imagine, including Cephalopod. Uh, so fucking Google it. Google it. Uh, but that being said, thanks so much for your time, and we will catch you next time. Yeah. Oh, yes, it's ladies' night, and the feeling's right. Oh, yes, it's ladies' night. Oh, what a, oh, what a night. Oh, yes, it's ladies' night, and the feeling.